0: welcome back to Ask an Atheist. I'm your host, Ethan, and alongside me is Chris Shelton, critical thinker at large. Chris, how are you doing?
1: Hey, I'm doing good. How are you this evening?
0: I'm doing good. Um, I asked you this behind the scenes, but perhaps you could go into it again. Uh, where did the term critical thinker at large come from? Why yeah. Do you like-
1: yeah. I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that. I was going to bring that up too, because it seems it seems pretentious. And I actually mean it um from day one of having started my channel I've meant it as I am learning about this topic and I'm and I'm sharing what I'm learning as I'm going right so rather than speaking from a soapbox I'm trying to speak from a I don't know you know uh a helpful lectern. i, you know, I just kind of trying to help educate as I learn, and so I've made plenty of mistakes along the way in talking about different things with critical thinking. But it's all been an honest effort to just try to get better at it, and that's that's where that comes from. And it, and it, it used to be that I was in Minnesota, and so I was identifying as the Minnesota critical thinker, and then I moved. And I was in Denver, and I was like, "Well, shit, now what?" So I went, "Okay, well, at large, I'll just say I'm the critical thinker at large." And they were, <laughs> and, and nobody else was doing it. There was skeptics, and there was atheists, and there's this, and there's that, but nobody was really, "Well, I, I'm a critical thinker." So I was like, "Well, I, I am." So,
0: I mean, I'll that's try that. true. <laughs> I, I like to think I'm a critical thinker, but I primarily identify myself as a skeptic or an atheist. Mm-hmm. So yes, critical oh. thinker stands out more. Um. Could you explain and go into what critical thinking is and why is it important?
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's basically trying, it's a discipline. I look at it as, I used to look at it as a set of, like as a skill set or as like a tool set or something. But now I think of it much more as as a discipline in the same way that I think like martial arts is a discipline. You have to train your mind and your body to it, right? It doesn't come naturally. You don't just, you know, know how to chop, your hand through bricks. You, you know, you really have to learn and learn and learn and practice yeah. at it. I think critical thinking is the same way because our brains are kind of tuned to think emotionally and then use our rationale to justify our emotional decision-making process. And critical thinking is about, about flipping the script on that and using rationality and using the tool set and, and fallacies and rhetoric and, you know, thinking logically to try to overcome that emotional tendency that we have. And um, and I just, I think it's everybody. It's not, you know, it's not, well, you know, these people have it and these people don't. It's it, it's kind of universal, it's just, you know, it's kind of how we are.
0: And critical thinking is a tool to overcome that. It's, you know, it's it's true. It can be difficult at times because th- there are, I argue with, I shouldn't say argue with, I converse with a lot of Republicans and I'll hear <laughs> their rhetoric. Yeah. And while it's easy to quickly label them something, I, I I remember what it was like to think like many of them. And I was just personally never given the tools to think about those things. You know, I would utter it's like I look at my old Facebook posts from years ago and I'll share them sometimes and I just cringe like, good God, like. I supported Trump. Uh, You know, if if you disrespected the flag, you should be in jail. How do you kneel? All, like I I, I tooted all those horns, but.
1: I hear you. Uh, You know, I used to be a ditto head.
0: A ditto head? What's that?
1: Uh, Oh, my God. I am so dating myself, I guess. A ditto (laughs) head, a follower of Rush Limbaugh in the the 1990s, especially when he was was rising.
0: I yeah. used to get the Limbaugh letter. I was 12 years old, and I would go. get it every month. My grandpa would hand it to me, and I yeah. was like, "Rush Limbaugh is my hero. I, when you know I'm it? older, I'm going to be a conservative speaker just like him."
1: Yep, yeah, that's right. I, I I swear to God, I was totally on that boat uh, all through the early 90s as a as a as a Scientologist, which is what I was back then, and, and that was my big thing. Um, it was pretty heavily conservative. And uh, it kind of kind of libertarian slash conservative values. It's it's is what was kind of preached in that in that group. So that's the background I came from. And I, and I, and I really did a lot of one eighties coming out of there and and, and and rethinking all that crap, you know. And really and and kind of putting human rights at the forefront. Right. That's something I can always fall back on, no matter what the politics or. The argument, or the social thing, or whatever it is, I can always fall back on. Look, human rights are always the thing that we can that we can, and I think really in the end must come to an agreement on. You know that with it, that's just kind of a universal thing, and uh, and that got me through a lot of confusions
0: <laughs> politically. It's. I still find myself at times when I hear certain things, there's that internal conservative trigger, that emotional side that I still like react and I have to go, wait, wait, wait a second. Yep. No. And I have to, you know, question myself back into reason because those. And isn't that things- critical thinking right,
1: right there? Isn't
0: That's, that what a point. I,
1: right? That's what I was talking about, right? Is it's like you have this emotional uh, and then you go, hang on, hang on. And yes. you discipline yourself to think it through. And it's it's hard. We it all is. you know, and I fail can... all the time at it, but it's it doesn't mean you don't keep working at it, you know.
0: And I think the biggest step is being okay with being wrong. Yeah, like right, exactly. I, you know, don't dig your heels in. To, to right. me, I could be wrong about anything at any moment. And when new information comes available, I should be prepared to change my opinion.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I think that's true.
0: Let's go a little bit into your Scientology background. Tell, uh, you know, especially like hit on any important notes that you think it's important for people to hear about Scientology.
1: Well, gee, uh, okay, hard to several hours,
0: right? (laughs) (laughs) Okay,
1: actually, actually, this is the most important thing you need to know about Scientology from somebody who did it for over three decades. At all levels, bottom the top, hardest, hardworking, I, I was hardcore all the way in. And I will tell you now, the summary of Scientology is that Scientology is a money-making scam that uses religious cloaking to hide its true intent and gain IRS tax exemption from the U.S. government, and that is basically all there is to it. Everything else about Scientology is to one degree or another smoke and mirrors to hide that basic truth about it. And no one else, the only people in that group who actually know the truth of that is the guy at the very top. So, Everyone else is in on the belief set and believes it's the real deal.
0: So do you think the I'm totally blanking on his name right now? Uh, Miscavige? Miscavige, David Miscavige. Um, you think he is knowingly ripping people off?
1: Yeah, I, I am positive that he knows what's what. I think that he, um, I have evidence that he was a true believer when he was a kid. He, he got involved with Scientology when he was just a teenager. He, he grew up around it because of his father. And he uh, went off and joined the C organization, I think when he was only like about 15, 16 years old. And he started working right under L. Ron Hubbard very quickly. So he was right away into this crazy world. And then he uh, had his, you know, whatever weird tendencies he's got, because he's a little psycho. And uh, I mean, just to be blunt and not to use psychiatric labels, so I'm just going to say psycho, because he beats people, he hurts people, and he gets off on it. And yeah, I he does I,
0: and stuff on them and yeah. the he layers people to do certain things and the way he screams at others. It's it's kind of scary.
1: Yeah, it is. And he's intense. I've been in the same room as him. And it's he's an intense guy. He's like this tall. I mean, the dude is tiny, but. You don't really notice that when you're a Scientologist in the room with him. He's, you know, it's uh...
0: larger than life. Oh,
1: yeah, very much so. And he's got this. And and there is legitimately a presence that he has. There is a charisma that he has. It's undeniable. Um, he's got a very intense gaze, that kind of thing. But he's a dick, you know. I mean, I'm not <laughs> under his under his power anymore, you know. And so it's like, fuck that guy. Um and he is a scammer. That's, he's running it as a scam now. I'm absolutely convinced that that is true because there's no way you could be a true believer and do the things that he does uh, and also omit to do a bunch of stuff that he's not doing, that anybody who would be trying to grow Scientology, they would be doing certain things. And he doesn't do those things. And thats that's very telling to me of his true intent.
0: What are your thoughts on Tom Cruise? Like, because he seems like he genuinely buys into all of it, but yeah. I, I'm sure that's easy for him when he has all these people at his beck and call. Like, based on the 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 one of the series I saw, there were actually people they were trying to cast for Tom Cruise's girlfriend. Um,
1: yes, is, I remember when that happened. Actually, really, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, now here's the thing about that's so that creepy. is yeah it was a whole okay so the Church of Scientology is a is a very tiny outfit. there's about five thousand probably about 4,000 at this point people who form the core of it, okay the real car, hardcore center of the of the movement or the group is the C organization and, and that's where I worked for 17 years. I was part of that and um And the Sea Org are like the fanatics. I mean, the really, you know, 24-7, yes sir, no sir, how high sir kind of of outfit. And um, there was a project launched. And we didn't know it had anything to do with Tom Cruise. I just observed it from the side because a guy I knew was working directly on it. And what they were doing was scouring through all of Scientology to find all the supermodels, all the most beautiful women in Scientology. And there were some because there was actresses and aspiring actresses and models who are in Scientology and they were all being rounded up for this special project, right? And I had no idea what it was. Nobody did. It was just this, you know, they're they're looking for talent. Right. And then years later, this kind of, the story breaks about Tom Cruise's wife and you know how they've been the church had helped him find her. And I went, oh my God, that's connected. That the timing was perfect. That's exactly when that happened. You know, so uh, so that's how it was kind of done in broad daylight of Scientologists, you know, of Sea Org members doing the work without having a clue what they were actually working on.
0: Ah, I wish I could just walk into like the headquarters and just talk to them because I I don't understand a great a great majority of what they do, particularly the obsession with, uh, and I'm curious how much this impacted you, but they're known to go after any public critics and they will bury you. Like um, they create a lot of hateful stuff, websites, they call your job. There is endless amounts of things they do. Were you ever a victim of that?
1: Yeah. Um, I've got a hate website up on me by the church that's, that's produced by the church of Scientology with a, wonderful video from my ex-wife trashing me and that was a lot of fun to see um because i don't bear her any ill will and i've said from from day one when i've uh, written about you know my infidelity because that existed that happened right and i i'm not going to deny that i i I did that and that was a pretty scummy thing for me to do on the other hand there's a lot of other context i could give you about that situation (laughs) you know that that might moderate your, you know, your feelings of hatred toward me because I cheated on my wife. Right. Um, but there's You're other a claims human, made. made a mistake. What's that?
0: You're human. You made a mistake. I, I made a huge
1: mistake and yeah, I, true. and I owned it. And in fact, um, anyway, I, I did more than my share of amends for that. I did a, I did a three-year prison program for that. I mean, it was, there's a lot to that story. Um, and I say all that I, you know, only because that's one thing that they harp on is, oh, he was, you know, he was, uh, he was cheating. But then they call me this and this and this other thing that have nothing to do with reality, that was never true, and they just kind of mix it all up into this mix, you know. And fortunately, um, for me, and actually for the other people that Scientology goes after at this point, um, that reputation is no longer really earned or deserved. Scientology has lost a lot of its teeth uh, because of really? the exposure. Oh yes, because of the exposure we have done. It has been a direct result of the exposure. It's not like it lost its teeth and then we started talking about it. It's we all stood up knowing full well they could destroy us right? and decided we were going to speak up anyway. And then through speaking up, through the Going Clear documentary, the Scientology in the Aftermath show, Emmy award-winning, by the way, right? All of that, now, now everybody knows what Scientology is and what it's about. If you care to look, it's a Google search away and all the truth of it is right there. It wasn't always that way. Prior to 2007, it wasn't that way at all. You had to really dig. And uh, then Anonymous came on the scene and changed everything. So. The, the, the pattern that the, the you know the sequence of events has has defanged Scientology. They haven't sued anybody in in a couple decades now.
0: Really? They, I yeah, think they but, do that all the time.
1: No, they lost, they they lost a lot of money. Um, they lost their suit against Time magazine. yeah uh, you know, they were suing Time magazine back in the early nineties for millions and millions and millions of dollars and they lost. And that means they lost all the money that they invested in that suit. And David Miscavige looked at that and went, yeah, we've got a nice tough reputation. We're just gonna live on that now. And they haven't really gone after anybody, including surprisingly, they haven't gone really after anybody very hard for trademark infringement. So you have independent Scientologists, people coming out of Scientology away from the church And basically setting up their own denomination of Scientology outside of the official
0: church. Really? Yeah, I don't
1: don't endorse any of that crap. It's all bullshit. But (laughs) people do it. And the church has not ruined them, has not gone after them. The last time Scientology really, really ruined somebody legally was, I mean, kind of in the 90s. You know, it's been a long time. So I feel a little safer you know, these days about doing what I do than I did when I first started. Um, and uh, other ex-Scientologists and I have talked about this. I mean, as recently as a week or two ago on my podcast, we talked about how Scientology's influence in Clearwater, Florida, which is where their main base of operations is, is almost nothing. They've got nobody on the city council. They got no real political influence. They've never been able to vote a Scientologist into office. The Scientologist has never even run for office there. Well, that's and, a good thing. And they don't have any of the police or the city council on their payroll because we now have a guy on the city council. This is Mark Bunker. He's he's pro us, uh, you know, he, anti-Scientology. So he's on the city council and he's making waves and doing all kinds of fun stuff. And, it's, and he's kind of showing the city... That they don't have to be afraid of Scientology because it isn't really a big b- black bear. You know, it's a little weasel in the it's, corner, making a lot of noise. It's it's got a big you
0: know? bark. Yeah, it's, it's got, got bark. nonstop barking, but can't really deliver. That's right. And that's and that's because of,
1: I really want to stress, that's because of all the work that we've been doing. And I, I put me as a very, very tiny part of that. I got a little channel, I do my part. Leah, Mike, Alex Gibney, Lawrence Wright, the whole of Anonymous in 2007, those were the people who were the true game changers on this. And, and we're seeing that now that Scientology is really just this little pipsqueak operation and they're not getting away with the crap they used to get away with. So that's kind of, that's, I'm, I'm happy about that. You know, now I say all that, and, and I want to make it clear that that doesn't mean that they don't do hate websites. They don't troll you. They don't go after you. They don't hire private investigators to go through your trash because they do. You know, I'm they, they still the do the slimy stuff. So, you know, it's it's still a mixed bag as to what's going to happen to you. Uh, but for, by, sure. for example, Ethan, you have nothing to worry about.
0: Yeah, I didn't think I, I'm active enough on my. Dislike for Scientology, yeah. Um, although they are one of the people I dislike the most, or one of the, like religious organization I dislike the most, only because I've spent more time on them than I have like at least other religions.
1: Well, they're uh, worthy of your uh,
0: contempt and, oh, and reporting. <laughs> yeah, so good <laughs> question from uh, Keith Heath. Yeah. what was the first thing that caused you to doubt your Scientology?
1: That's a good question. The first thing. Um, The first really, really big, big thing was um, the thing that I remember the most and was the beginning of what was, you know, the 10 year end of me getting the hell out of that thing was um, a failed, uh, well, a successful project that I did while I was a Sea Org member. It, I, I pulled off this amazing thing and I worked with all these staff in San Diego at the church there. And we and we hired a whole bunch of people in a very short amount of time and and pulled off kind of a miracle in, in about three weeks. And I went back to Los Angeles where I was based and kind of not only didn't get a hero's welcome, I kind of got shit on. And I got really very, um, you know, because I, I wanted to go repeat that success in other places and i knew right. the formula i knew how to do it and i was trying to convince people let's do this let's do this and uh not only was nobody interested they were actually derogatory told me toward me and and it and it kind of opened my eyes to this bureaucracy that i was working in and this um and the fact that what we were telling ourselves that we were doing Well, obviously that's not really what we were doing because if it was, then we'd be repeating this success in all these other places and nobody was interested. And I just thought, okay, something's really, really off here. And this was actually a really big deal. This was not a small little pet project I had. This was, this was big. So, um, so that was the first thing that kind of opened my eyes because it showed me that there was a deception in the very, nature of what we were doing. You know, we Mm. were, we were focused on making these organizations, these churches bigger and more, you know, more successful, get more people in, make more Scientologists. And I had figured out a way to do that using, you know, uh, stuff Hubbard said, and then, you know, got, got rained on. So,
0: um, wasn't Hubbard, if I recall, and please correct me if this is incorrect, but didn't he have like a, a philosophy that said attack, don't defend, yep. or something like yep. that? Yep. yep. Never attack never
1: defend, always attack, always attack, never defend. That is and the that, legal, that's the legal strategy and the PR
0: strategy. Okay. So that essentially Ron Hubbard's philosophy there is the basis of how they interact yeah. with everyone.
1: That's right. That, and that's why you see you know, these crazy hate websites and these over-the-top accusations and these exaggerated, bloated, you know, hyperbolic claims about critics all being criminals and being paid by big pharma. And I mean, I'm seriously <laughs> still waiting for my check, right? I, I mean, you can see how how I'm just, you know, the 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 big pharma's just raining money down on me yeah. here. Yeah. Right. So yeah, this is, this is their, their nonsense. You
0: know. Well, and when you, I'll get to Caitlin's question in a minute, but when, when you say they reference big pharma, from my understanding, that's because they're completely opposed to psychiatry and psychology, correct? Yes. And, yes. And, and, not,
1: and I, I want to be clear, they want to destroy psychiatry.
0: Yeah. That's what I thought. Like okay. they hate yeah. it. They have complete disdain and they think it's hurtful.
1: Yes. They actually believe it's a destructive subject from beginning to end, top to bottom. There is nothing good in it and never was. And it needs to be literally eradicated from the face of the earth.
0: And that includes mental health medication, correct?
1: Yes. Psychotropics of any kind are um, just as far as they're concerned, it's all pseudoscientific garbage. And some of their criticisms, of course, are correct. Because there are problems with pharmaceuticals and their distribution and their pricing scales. But uh, to just outright say all of it is a a delusional fantasy and we, the Church of Scientology, are the ones with the real answers and we're the ones who know how to heal and cure mental illness, that is even more delusional. So, and, and, and I know what they do to people. Like I, I I, know their methods, right? And they don't, they're not even remotely workable.
0: Well, so, yeah, they people in rooms too, like that, that yeah. those jails with very limited stuff, no outside contact. And you can okay. be in there. They can have you be scrubbing the toilets on your hands and knees. Like it's pretty horrible what they do to people and how demeaning it is.
1: Yeah, and that was the that was the three year prison program I did was that kind of demeaning hard labor and uh, and it was tough man I mean it was running everywhere you can't talk to people who aren't in your sequestered little part of the program that's called the RPF or the Rehabilitation Project Forces that was rough that
0: was I can imagine a oh. uh, question from Caitlin Beyond do you think it's more likely for someone to be atheist after leaving Scientology? I'm not sure I see how someone could believe in a God after exiting that religion.
1: Yeah. It's a mixed bag with people coming out of Scientology. I know quite a few ex Scientologists and some are religious and some are not. Um, I am agnostic. I, I just have a great big, I don't know on the whole question. And, and I pretty much go at it from that point of view more on the no than yes side of the equation. I've got my own ideas about spirituality and stuff, but as far as um, Scientology goes. See, the thing about Scientology is it's not really about a god. So you can have a god belief and be a Scientologist, or you can be atheist and be a Scientologist, and you'll and you guys won't, and there won't be any conflict there. Because God, Scientology doesn't really address God. What Scientology is trying to do is make you into God. So that's kind of how that
0: how that oh, works. Okay. Uh, Kyle Brewer, thanks for the dollar super chat. Question from Allison. Does Scientology ever recruit people from LGAT, uh, large group awareness training, groups that are disguised as self-help?
1: Yes. Yes, they do. Um, And by that, I mean that there are people who did Landmark Forum or did Landmark or did EST or did other kinds of LGAT stuff. Um, Those are the biggest, most successful ones, I think. Uh, But yeah. People get recruited from those things into Scientology, not at the LGAT training, not at the not at the Est or Forum or whatever training, because that's its own thing. By, by the way, Est and Forum and all that, they they ripped off Scientology. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Yeah, Warner Earhart started the whole thing in the 70s with Est or Earhart seminar training. And these were these four-day workshops. And um, he ripped it off so hardcore. Get this, okay? He ripped it off so thoroughly that in the four-day workshops, the original Est workshops, the Scientology dictionary was used to define the language that they were using because he was taking it straight out of Scientology. So he just used their dictionary in his trainings to (laughs) teach his people, right? And eventually, they came up with their own materials and squirreled it around and did this and that with it. And and came up with their, with, it became landmark and landmark form, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a whole little history with that that actually has some Scientology roots in it. So it's, and Scientology is ripped off from earlier occult practices and earlier spiritualism and Gnosticism and stuff. So, so it's just this parade of plagiarism going through <laughs> history. You know
0: how, how does Scientology recruit these days now?
1: Well, as they always have, right? Um, during the during the pandemic, they, everything was pretty shut down, and uh, now they're back on the streets. So they get to do personality tests. Is their number one introductory line? They try to sell Dianetics books or uh, basic-covered Scientology books. Um, they bring people in to watch films or videos. But mostly they try to get people in through this audiovisual sort of maze that they've created in their in their new buildings. They've got these displays and and audiovisual, you know, videos and stuff. And they're trying to recruit people that way. And Miscavige has been trying to do that for about the last 20 years. And it's just been a total disaster. And that's one of the reasons their numbers have, have just tanked.
0: They're, they're like a giant, and Caitlin also said what I was thinking. They're like a giant MLM, it seems.
1: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Or we could say MLMs are like cults. Because they are. Yeah. They, they use the same techniques. Recruitment techniques and retention techniques are basically the same. From whether you're talking LGATs, cults, or MLMs, they're all doing the same stuff. They pretty it up with different language they and they and, and the, the the seeming purpose of the activity is different with MLMs it's all about self- empowerment through making money uh, by activating your social networks to make you rich right which is just total horseshit. it never works and then you have the LGAT <laughs> trainings which is all about this you know training a lot of people at once to have these spiritual experiences or these very powerful personal experiences and then Scientology is more one-on-one we're gonna we're gonna you know, give you this fervor, awe experience, and then we're going to tell you the reason you're, you're feeling such such fervor and euphoria right now is because L. Ron Hubbard is the source of that, and he's the one who figured out how to make you feel that way, and isn't that wonderful, and don't you want more of it, right?
0: I I just don't understand how people fall for this shit, especially, like, with L. Ron Hubbard, the fact that he was a a, a fiction writer, like okay. – why would someone believe this?
1: Well, look at the time period that he came from, for one. If we want it, we can contextualize it a couple different ways. Okay. Historically speaking, L. Ron Hubbard was a pulp fiction writer across multiple genres in a time when when well-known and well-regarded scientists were becoming writers or were writing during the golden age of science fiction. Isaac um, uh, Arthur C. Clark um, was a was a legit scientist who also wrote 2001. (laughs) Um, I'm trying to remember the names of the other guys. They're not coming to me right now, but um, Isaac Asimov, total hardcore scientist, also writer. Robert Heinlein, engineer, writer. So it wasn't really that weird for that demographic to regard a writer as somebody who could come up with some scientific truths or vice versa. And Hubbard uh, purposefully put himself in that community, in that crowd, and presented himself that way. And in 1950, the first effort was not Scientology; was not a religion; it was a science. It was Dianetics, the modern science of mental health, mm-hmm. right? And he's like, "Well, you know, I are science, and here we are, and this is the new psychology, and rah, 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 and you can do it yourself, right?" And this was Dianetics. That, that's
0: a pretty good impression of him. Yeah.
1: I, I listened <laughs> listen to way too many lectures from that guy. So, um, So yeah, so he was presenting as a scientist first. And then to his followers, he wove this narrative that he had gone from scientific research into discovering this life energy, this life force that he called Theta and that led to a spiritual existence that was scientifically proven it wasn't but that's what he claimed right and that led directly into scientology so he he just kind of weaved this little this little narrative of credulity and people at the time bought into it and over the decades scientology has learned to keep up with the times in terms of its marketing not in terms of its practice because it's never changed what it does to you But how it presents has changed to be culture-specific and go with the times. So in the 60s, it was much more spiritual, baby. And in the (laughs) 70s, it was more about finding your way. And with the 80s, it was, you know, life is the battlefield and your mind is your weapon, right? And so this was kind of the marketing appeal of Dianetics and Scientology in the 80s and, you know, and on and on and on. So So they've changed and rolled with the times as far as that goes. Okay.
0: Um, So we got a few more questions coming in. Kyle, has your mental health improved after leaving Scientology?
1: Yes, absolutely. From the very day that I got away from it and every day since. Yes.
0: Question from Allison. How do you deal with the fear of people coming after, after you to hurt you from Scientology after you left? Do you feel safe now?
1: I feel safe from Scientology now, actually, because of all the things we talked about earlier in the show. Um, I know they're still out there and they still don't like me and stuff, but I've I've done okay in terms of avoiding any real, real serious unpleasantness because I'm not at the level where they care enough about me. And I'm okay with that. I I didn't get into this to antagonize Scientology into attacking me. That's not why I'm doing what I'm
0: doing. Well, yeah, that being fun
1: yeah no nobody wants that and nobody deserves it and it and it's just really it's awful when it's happening to you and i have very good friends who have experienced that um you know including leah so you know so i know what that is like and it's no and it's no fun um but i'm not concerned about it for myself because like i said i'm kind of not really at their level and scientology actually is just doesn't have the resources anymore to spread themselves so thin They've got some very serious legal problems right now because this Danny Masterson really? rape case is all about Scientology in the courtroom. I mean, the preliminary hearing, had was half of it was about Scientology and the judge was totally down with it, allowed all of it. So we're going to see Scientology not on trial. What we're going to see, and I don't want to put Scientology on trial. What I want to see and what they're going to show is how the Church of Scientology organizationally, as a body, interfered with a criminal investigation, multiple criminal investigations of a very serious nature of of, of rape, sexual assault uh, against numerous women who were bringing these charges against Danny Masterson, and they covered up evidence, they covered up the crime, they cajoled these women into silence, and they let Danny Masterson get away with, what he got away with, so, um, so that all happened, and that is what they are now dealing with, because that's going to trial, and that's going to trial later this year or early next year, and so they're way more concerned about that right now right. than they are that about little old pretty me. Big
0: deal. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a huge deal. <laughs> I cannot wait for this because it's going to be huge. Um, there might well be. If things go the way I hope they do, and and it could get derailed, I mean things could still happen that could right. it could derail this. But if it goes the way I think it will, we're going to see Sea Org members getting getting called to the stand as witnesses in this, and that is going to be awesome.
0: Well, do you think they're going to have the courage to speak out and not lie under oath? no but they're going
1: to be shown to be liars the cover-up is all going to be very very clear and the and the um the the state who's prosecuting danny masterson is going to show because the state's listening closely to its advisors the women who were involved were scientologists and they're getting help from people like you know not me but people like me who are consulting on this who know Scientology inside and out. So when they get these people on the stand, they're going to skewer them with their own policy. If they try to fumble around and lie their way through it. And there's also written records that they can get hold of. And I can't wait to see what they're going to have on that because Scientology keeps everything in writing. They do everything. Yeah. Yeah. There's records.
0: I feel like they'll do everything they can to, to, to cover it up. And that- I think,
1: I think they will too, but the ref, but the records cross-reference themselves. Okay. And some of the records have already gotten out some of the reports and some of the filings and stuff. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how this rolls out. I, I, you know, high hopes, low expectations. That's my view about Scientology legally because they drag things out and they make things very, very difficult. But this is a criminal case being brought by the state. And um, and Danny Masterson's going down. And I just hope Scientology, some part of Scientology
0: goes down with him because it be deserves really to. Yeah. Um, question from Brain Bug, which I, I believe you've already answered, but what type of mm-hmm. harassment does Chris currently experience? And I recall you saying it's just Right now, nothing except for there's a hate website up about you, correct?
1: Yeah, pretty much so. I get trolled sometimes, and I can't always tell who it is. But, you know, that's that's hardly anything.
0: All right. Um, we're going a bit over time, but I'd like to mm. get to a few other things. Um, sure. I see a big Iron Man poster or in your background. So, yes. Uh, are, are you a comic book, MCU Iron Man? Where are you at?
1: I am a MCU cinema. Uh, cinematic MCU, I, I you know I love that. Oh yeah, MCU, right? Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. And uh, but I'm kind of finding myself, if I'm really being honest right now, interest fading after Phase Four. I'm I'm like I am I might be just about done with this. I I really love my Iron Man, and I I'm definitely Team Iron Man. Um, but Ronnie
0: I, Junior, you approve? Yeah,
1: I'm. I, yeah, but I'm. We'll see. We'll see where we go with all of it. You know. But I've really, really, really loved everything that I have seen in the MCU from Iron Man forward, I would say, has been just nothing but impressive to me. I've loved all of it.
0: I've loved it all. There have been some movies that I'm kind of like, eh, like Thor, the Dark World. Yes, Dark World, yes, (laughs) yes, yes. (laughs) Everybody's kind of
1: like, I I love Thor. I love Thor, Ragnarok. Dark World. (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. Uh, I, I Ragnarok was great because they stopped. Chris Hemsworth was like let free. He wasn't stuck playing this like uh, theater type person. He was allowed yes. to have fun with the role. Yes. And to me, that's when Thor just got way better. That's right. Um, but then we get into uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. I loved Ultron as a villain. like yeah. The voice, how he was made. But the movie, it was just meh. I was more than meh. But
1: I do get your point. I do see what you're saying. It, it left a bad aftertaste a little bit. And I get that. And I, I, I can, I can, yeah, I can empathize with that. I, um, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it an awful lot. Same. Um, yeah, I think my, um, my ill will towards movies, franchises really gets going on Star Wars more than it does on, uh, than on
0: MCU. Before we jump into Star Wars, do you, are you watching the uh, the Disney Plus shows right now of the MCU, like Loki, WandaVision, Cat, Winter Soldier? Uh, we Falcon. watched,
1: we watched, uh, we watched WandaVision all the way through.
0: Meh. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, we watched uh, about three episodes of uh, Winter Soldier or Falcon and and uh, what's the other one?
0: Uh, uh was it winter soldier yeah yeah
1: i i couldn't get into it honestly i tried i we watched three or four episodes and i was like this is really not doing it for me and i haven't yet hit loki but i have real high hopes and i'm gonna tell you i tom hiddleston that character it is it is a perfect storm for me i love Loki. So I am I have very high hopes for that show, but I haven't I'm waiting for it all to hit and then I'm gonna watch it all the way through in in like a day or something.
0: All right. Well don't have very high hopes. Really? Um, it, it's I, I I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. Okay. But um it, it's kind of something very different to get used to. Oh. Um
1: Okay. So they're doing, they're going in a different direction.
0: Yeah, it's a very different than any other MCU thing I've seen. Um, So that's, I I don't want to ruin anything, but just don't be sitting here like, oh my God, this is awesome. Just go in and don't expect what you're used to. Okay.
1: All right. Well, we'll check it out. We'll see how it goes. Um, Conversely, um, and I'm not trying to force this change, but it just keeps coming to mind for me. Um, The Mandalorian salvaged oh, star wars for me
0: that's what it's salvaged i mean yeah, i love star wars but how did mandalorian salvage it
1: because the movies the the last prequel the last trilogy just absolutely ruined it for me um i the wanted whole trilogy? to yeah it, i was okay with force awakens and i really hope i'm not like losing you viewers right now but i <laughs> force, force awakens <laughs> was basically yeah, it was basically Star Wars rehashed, right, with a new crew, new generation. I'm like, okay, I'm going with you, JJ. Let's see where you take this. And then Ryan Johnson came along, and I have nothing, nothing but respect for Ryan Johnson's other work. I, Looper was one of the best tra- time travel sci-fi stories I have ever seen. It was I actually, it. it was brilliant. It was really well constructed. Uh, time travel movies are the trickiest with plotting they and stuff. Are. Yes. Oh, they These you will
0: find holes. Yeah.
1: Everywhere. It's so hard to stay internally consistent. Even Back to the Future screwed it up in a very significant way that nobody really talks about. But what we'll um, talk about it. Well, we'll I'll, I'll get there in a second cuz okay. I don't know if I don't know if your viewers are really down with the minutia of Back to the Future. It was, in, I it, was am. it was 1980s, right? I am. Um, I don't care. Okay, well, I'll just say two DeLoreans existed in the same time in the same place in the Old West. But they never went to the other DeLorean to get the spare parts they needed. They kept screwing around with the one they had. It was, it, But two of them existed in that same space-time. Anyway. Dude! With, right? Okay.
0: Wait, wait,
1: wait. Yeah. He went back to the Old West, but Doc had also gone back and so there were two oh my civilians. god
0: how how did i never notice that
1: right it was kind of big but nobody ever talked about it so i just kept it to myself uh you know it's just kind of one of those things you why just, ruin the movie you just for everybody blew right
0: with that yeah. one, yeah sorry uh, uh okay. spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't seen back to the future yet uh I, I don't know what to tell you
1: yeah sorry about that one
0: um Okay, but in terms of
1: Star Wars, yeah, Ryan Johnson, great movie maker, great writer. I'll give him that. I give him props. Right? Knives Out was fun. It was a fun movie. Uh, Looper was amazing. What he did to Star Wars was unfucking forgivable. I will never forgive him for what he did. I mean, from the very first scene, I'm going to take this and I'm going to twist it all up just for the sake of twisting it up. There was no fan service. There's no story service. There is no bigger picture. It's just. I want to fuck with it, so I'm going to fuck with it.
0: and that's I it felt like. Oh, he it was totally J. that. Abrams, J, and J.J. Abrams isn't perfect, but it feels like he took what J.J. Abrams set up, like this Snoke, this big thing, yeah. and then just Star Wars spoilers just, uh, yeah. just kills him. And it's like, what? Like, I don't know. I just, I don't like what he did at all. I think he just ruined the movie oh, prior.
1: That's right. He took everything that was exactly like you said. He took the perfect pass. It wasn't the perfect pass, it was a wobbly pass, but he took a pass that could have he could have run with and, just, and he just, just totally fumbled it that. all over the field. I mean, right. totally. And it was pretty unrecoverable because, to, to, to strain that analogy, because the third movie was just pick up the pieces that Ryan Johnson left all over the floor yeah. and try to make some semblance of normalcy out of this. And it was just a total disaster. So my, unfortunately, my, you know, I grew up with Star Wars, I was there at the Groman's Chinese in the in the line around the block at six, you know, at seven, eight years old. I was there in that line seeing Star Wars for the first time in the movies when it was, you know, like I'm I'm that old school with Star Wars. So watching the prequels was no fun. <laughs> so I'm not cool. seeing this. I was just like, ah, but the Mandalorian. <laughs> Phenomenal. It it totally resuscitated the entire thing for me because. Here was John Favreau totally getting why Star Wars worked in the first place.
0: Yep. And you now he, I mean, John Favreau, I think is underestimated. He literally birthed the MCU. Yes. And then yes. saved Star Wars. And now he's created this new Star Wars universe that all these shows are going to spawn off of. Like this yes. guy. Yes. What he does, it's like he craps gold. He <laughs> yes.
1: is so good. Because the reason I'm going to say he's so good is not only is he creative, there's a lot of creative people out there. He understands the themes and the, 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 the characters, and he understands the spirit, the, 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 the culture of Star Wars, the, 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 the reason it exists and the reason it's popular. He gets that. And that's what he starts it with. He, he he starts with that foundation and he builds on it. He's not trying to tear it apart like Ryan Johnson was. And ooh, what can I do with this? Well, uh, clearly not much. John, <laughs> John Fabro, he builds on what worked, and and then he adds his creativity to it, and he brings the you know that old uh, samurai story in, and it's just I mean, it was I'm really curious where it's going to go now. I have no idea, but. Um, but I was very impressed with what he did. Did you like the Boba actor they used? Yeah, I thought he was okay. Yeah, I was, I was okay with that. I wasn't quite, I thought the end, I thought that part of him going over and taking over Jabba's place was kind of interesting, but it seemed kind of weird to me. Like, I, like, like what, what did he just do? I mean, he killed some people, but what, what position does that put him in now? Really? It it didn't seem like it was really much of anything, so I was a little confused by that. But maybe I missed something
0: on that one. Um, If you could, put the Star Wars movies in order, from your favorite to your least favorite.
1: Oh, God. I don't know if I can do all of them, but I will say that the best is Empire. Um, Empire Strikes Back is absolutely the best made, best storytelling Star Wars story. Um, but of course it relies on star Wars. So it's, so, so I have to put the original right up there cause empire doesn't make sense without star Wars and star Wars was a legit great movie. So a new hope. So,
0: right. Yeah. New
1: hope. That's right. So those two are kind of my, my tops. Um, return was okay. Return was all right. It Same. was, yeah, it was, it was okay. It could have been a lot better. Um, the Ewok thing was a little bit too much, you know, merchandising uh, heavy. Um, trying to think through the other ones right now. Solo was okay. Rogue One was okay. Ooh, I mean, these were not I mean, movies that that really hit the nail on the head for me. I, I they just didn't. I I wanted them to. I had I had incredibly high hopes for them, um, and I don't think I am judging them. Because of what's not there that I thought should be there, I'm not trying to, you know, remake the movie. And that they didn't make the one I wanted, so it's no good. I just didn't really, I didn't really get caught up in it, in either one. You know, um, there were things that were going on that confused me in them. And uh, although some people would say it's not too hard to do, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I kind of like that. I'm I'm thinking right now about the prequels, and I'm thinking that the the last one, the third, you know, the the third one, uh, Revenge of the Sith. Yes, I I really I I enjoyed. I enjoyed that one. that one. I enjoyed that one. But the setup to it, the first and second prequels were just so poorly executed.
0: So I think part two should be episode two, a crappy love story, because that's uh, all it was. That. Dialogue and this everything was just like, what am I watching?
1: Oh, it was awful. Yeah, and it was so badly acted. I mean, the memes now—Are uh, you seeing these memes circulating around of, of uh, Padme and, and Anakin? Oh yeah, Have you seen some of those. They're <laughs> I hilarious. I got I got more entertainment out of those memes than I did out of the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying like, it's, Dude, it's that bad the funny ones. oh it was painful to watch when I was watching it I'm watching this love story and I'm like these two hate each other this is the worst thing I've ever seen this is awful I was not convinced at all so uh, yeah it was bad
0: uh, and then the last question secular rarity says now do it for the diehard movies so I'm gonna say part one then part three, then two, then f- oh, wait, no, 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 hang on. Part one, part three, part four. I believe it's wow, ah, which is the one? Yeah, live free or die hard.
1: Yeah, 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 live free or die hard. I remember that one with Timmy. Is that number time. four? Yeah, I think that's number
0: four. Okay, so then what one, was number three? Three, four, three, oh, three was the three,
1: the New York okay. City
0: with Samuel L. Jackson. That was that was
1: three, right? Because two was yeah. at the airport.
0: Can you know? You, uh, oh yeah. Um, can you solve the riddle from it?
1: Right. Which one?
0: Okay. So you have a five-gallon jug. Oh can God! You- yeah,
1: that thing. Yeah. Yeah. Do yeah, you remember yeah. it? I it was. Yeah. You got to pour the water, and yeah, I, I remember. You that. have to
0: get exactly four gallons of water in the five-gallon jug, and if you're even over, or under, and a little bit, the bomb goes off. Right. That's can right. you they solve? They
1: had five it? gallon, and they had what a one gallon or?
0: Uh, no, two a gallons. five gallon and a three gallon, and three,
1: and gallons. you
0: have to get exactly four gallons into right. the five. Yeah, gallon. it's a sequence
1: thing. I had, I'd have to sit down with so some paper. I'm no good if at I'm that. I'm remembering
0: anyway. you put the three into wait, crap, hang on. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. no, 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 no. You fill up the five, yeah, or pour, pour it into the three, yeah. that leaves two. two. You empty the three, you pour the two into the three, then you fill up the five gallon again. And fill up the other one, which brings it to three, leaving exactly four gallons. Four
1: gallons. That's right. There you go. That's the sequence. That's right.
0: Sweet. I'm glad I remember that. <laughs> yeah, that was a good job, man. That was a
1: good job. <laughs> actually, for me, the sequence actually is kind of the sequence that they came out in a little bit. I, I don't know though. I really did enjoy Live Free or Die Hard, actually, more than I should have. I saw it a lot of times. Was too. Good. It was good. It was. That was the, yeah, that was a that was that was the one that had a Kevin Smith in it too. I yeah, I enjoyed that one. But I kind of I it's it's all, I don't know maybe it's a little bit of a guilty pleasure but I I liked them all. I, I did.
0: Uh, I don't like 5. I think Oh five no, I like didn't even see 5. Sorry. Up. Skip 5. Okay,
1: okay, no, it's crap. 5 was it's really good. Really yeah. 5 5 was a little bit if I was like why did you do this? Why did you do this to us? Why why did you inflict this on us?
0: All right. Yeah. Um all right Chris, thanks for sitting down. Where can we yeah. check you out at and what what else do you have going on?
1: Okay, uh, you can check me out at my channel. It's Chris Shelton, Critical Thinker at Large. Excuse me. I have, um, I post content three times a week. We do a live call-in show every Friday night, and tomorrow night it won't be call-in because I'm missing my soundboard, which allows me to plug my phone in. So that'll come next week, but we will be doing a live show tomorrow. Um, then we have a podcast on Saturday, Sensibly seeking Podcast on Saturdays, and a critical Q&A show every Sunday where I answer viewer questions. Um, Sometimes live, often not uh, pre-recorded most of the time. So that's the content I put up. And if you're actually curious about Scientology, you can check out my book, Scientology A to Zenu, An Insider's Guide to What Scientology is Really All About. And that is uh, pretty clearly a breakdown of Scientology, not just my experience with it. So- Uh
0: Well, thank you. Uh, Real quick, I need to thank my uh, patrons, Cindy Plaza, Kenneth Leonard, Sky, Jump and Shoot, Oz, P, Secular Rarity, Philip Leach, Caitlin Beyond, Toast, Richard Gilliver, Sunset Sarge, The Blazing Wizard Pope, Amit Matthew, WKL, and Ray Sylvester. Thank you all for your patronage. Chris, thanks for sitting down with me.